This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. They don't see us as humans. They see us as stories. We are not stories, Mark. We had dreams. We had hopes. We had lives. We lost everything. Every day, 100 civilians are killed in conflict and countless more are harmed. Yet their perspectives are often missing from the stories we tell about war. This is the Civilian Protection Podcast, a monthly podcast produced by Civic and PAX. We often hear about war and conflict, but we rarely hear about the civilians who pay the highest price. The people that don't participate in the fighting, but suffer its impact nonetheless. Nor do we often examine the policies and practices that led to that harm, and how states and security actors can work to prevent civilian harm in the future. I'm Mark Arlosko, military advisor from PAX. And I'm Annie Scheel, senior advisor for U.S. policy and advocacy at Center for Civilians in Conflict, or CIVIC. Both of our organizations work in conflicts around the world, to protect civilians caught in war. On this podcast, we bring you the voices of people affected by war, the dangers they face, and what can be done to better protect them, because we believe it's time to put them at the center of the discussion. This is the Civilian Protection Podcast. Okay, Mark, I want you to close your eyes and think about war. So movies you've seen, video games you've played, the history you were taught in school. So take a second, picture it in your mind's eye, and tell me when you're ready. Okay. All right, I'm ready. Okay. Tell me what images come to mind. So I imagine, like, Tom Hanks assaulting Omaha Beach in Saving Private Ryan, and there are bullets flying everywhere, and mortars, and artillery shells, and explosions, and there's just mayhem. Yes. I think those are the kinds of portrayals that most people think of. But how often do we think of those who don't fight? The civilians. The death and injury they suffer, the destruction of their homes and cities, the impossible choices they're forced to make. Well, they're never part of the story, right? I mean, we know Private Ryan, but what about the civilians in the story? What about those two parents that are asking American soldiers to take their daughter to safety? What were their names? Since the beginning of time, war has always taken the heaviest toll on civilians, and they have always shown tremendous agency and resolve and courage in the face of devastating harm and impossible choices. And yet, their voices are often missing from the stories we tell about war and the way we think about war's costs. They're explained away in abstract numbers, or my personal least favorite, referred to as collateral damage. Which brings us to the subject of today's podcast. We wanted to talk to someone who understood these problems firsthand. So I sat down over Zoom with Omar Mohammed, better known as Mosulai. In 2014, ISIS, also known as Daesh, Seize the city of Mosul, Iraq. In the early hours of Tuesday, fighters from the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant mounted one of the boldest attacks on Mosul in the country's north. 
Some 1,300 fighters besieged the city and within a few hours took over at least 75% of it, according to local sources. It was then that Omar started Mosulai and began to anonymously document cases of civilian harm, recording the names of those killed. I remember that it was uh, Eid, just like today, it's, it's Eid al-Fitr. I was still very young. Uh, during that holiday, we buy new clothes. I bought a new parfum. I was like kind of like very elegant, I, I would assume, and went out to enjoy the, the day. The moment I opened the door, I found in the uh, uh, on the on the roadside a woman with a bullet in her head, and she was bleeding. And no one would come and at least to cover her. I still remember. <sighs> I shouldn't speak about this. It's it's really. I was still young. I, I don't. I, it's, it was it was a horrible moment for me. I called the the ambulance. The people were afraid even calling the ambulance. And I pulled her out of the street. I still remember I was full of blood. I asked the ambulance driver to help me at least to, 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 to put her in the in the ambulance. He refused because he was afraid. He thinks that they will he, he will get killed if he if he do this because she was killed by uh, 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 the terrorist. I had to put her in the back and then I had to, to find a way. I, I put myself in the in the ambulance and I started like pulling her until I put her in the ambulance and he started driving and I went back home full of blood. From that moment, from that moment I started recording everything uh, 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 in, in, in a, an organized manner because I realized like I still want to know the name of that woman. I still don't know her name. So Omar started recording these incidents while ISIS had control of the city. That's right. Wasn't that incredibly dangerous? It was. He was risking his life every day. You're going yes, out I into Mosul, right? You're, you're interviewing, you're talking to people. Are you taking physical notes? Are you writing things down? And are you afraid that someone could find this information and maybe kill you? That's, that's what I also uh, uh, was afraid of, because if I would write down something, it will also look suspicious. But I made sure that whenever there is available information, I finish everything and go directly back home and write down everything. And how did you protect just, that information? I will, I will just show you an example. Yeah. Uh, where, is, where is my diary? What I do is I go directly to write. Then Omar pulled out a thick, well-worn journal. So you're putting your notes in that book. Yes. And every day you would come home then and make notes. Yes, day by day, moment by, by, by moment. I mean, you, you, you can see here. Uh, but how but did you protect I, the notes? Weren't you worried that somebody might find them? That's, that's, that's also another, another struggle, uh, uh, Mark. And I would hide the, 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 the manuscript, I would hide, hide the record, and I would wake up all the night many times trying, like saying like, no, this is not a good location, I have to find a new one. Reporting on harm under Daesh was so dangerous that Omar even described taking on different personas to safely get information. I started playing like different characters. 
one as a taxi driver and usually people speak when they they, they ride it uh, uh, they drive when, when I am a taxi driver I get much more information from areas that I couldn't visit. I had also to open a, a, a grocery. Uh, I worked as a baker. Uh, I made sure that I play this kind of personas or characters where I can uh, uh, communicate with people easily and, and without having this kind of fear. But Omar's work became even more dangerous in 2016 when the U.S.-led coalition intervened against ISIS. It was the largest city in Iraq captured by ISIL fighters. Now it's the only one they have left, and not for much longer if the Iraqi army has its way. The battle has begun to recapture Mosul. Iraqi commanders say victory will mean the end of ISIL in Iraq. Iraq's armed forces, along with Kurdish, Sunni, Arab and Shia allies, have been preparing for months. They have the backing of the United States, which describes the operation as a defining moment. So will the joint force be able to kick ISIL out of Iraq altogether? And how many civilians are in the firing line? Omar explained how civilians found themselves trapped between ISIS on one side and Iraqi and coalition forces on the other. So, so let me get this clear. You're in this house with these people and you're hiding from ISIS. Daesh could come in and kill people. But simultaneously, the coalition is bombing and the Iraqi forces are moving in and there's a car bomb outside of your house with an IED. So yes. you guys are facing danger at every corner. From everyone. So how did people live in Mosul during this conflict? How did they survive? Well, not many of them survived. Uh, uh, the fact that families had to bury their family members who were killed by air strikes in their gardens is horrifying. The fact that until now, a mother is sitting on the top of the ruins of the house she is not asking for the house. She is not asking for anything. She is only asking for extracting the corpse of her son, who is buried under the rubble. She said, she say, just give me back the uh, 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 corpse. I want to dignify my son. And that's all she wants. The, the fact that people couldn't find a place to bury their family members and had to sit with them in the same room, Mark, the, 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 the horrifying image of this is not mentioned anywhere in the coalition's reports or in the government's reports or in the media reports. It's not mentioned anywhere because those lives didn't matter that much. What they say, liberate Mosul at any cost. I'm thinking about how in our research for this episode, we looked at reporting from Mosul Eye and from other organizations showing that thousands of civilians were killed in the Battle of Mosul, and how each of those people had a story like what Omar was describing. And most of those stories will never be told. They never give the, 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 the actual number, numbers of the civilians. And imagine that now we are speaking about those victims as numbers. That's, so that's, that's, that's the horrifying thing, Mark. That's what made me do Mosul Eye, because I don't want them to be numbers. Omar is living in Europe now because his life would be in danger in Mosul as a result of his work as Mosul Eye. And his point about the humanity behind these numbers is exactly the message Omar said he wanted to send to people living in the West. They don't see us as humans, they see us as stories. 
we are not stories, Mark. That's what I hope to see when, when a journalist contact me, when a researcher contact me. I am not a story, I am not a source. The people in Mosul are not stories. They are not a future a program or a future project at the university or at... We are not stories. We had dreams, we had hopes, we had lives, we lost everything. I am sitting in, in a European city, looking from the window, trying to imagine that my mother is, is walking out and I would, would see my mother. It's, 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 it's Eid and I am unable to say the, the Eid wishes to my mother. We are not stories, Mark. I cannot go out and feel the same thing that I used to feel in my neighborhood. I cannot see, I cannot find my neighborhoods anymore. And I am not, I am, I am a refugee. I am not, I am not, I am not. I didn't leave because I wanted to leave. I didn't leave my country to come and, and I'm sorry to say this, I know we are not speaking about immigration here, but I didn't come to Europe to steal their jobs. I just hope yeah. that they see us as, 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 as equal as, as any other human. We are humans. I'm sorry. Mark, what about the people who are still in Mosul? What is it like to live in Mosul today? I mean, Omar talked about losing his neighborhood. We know now that the fighting there destroyed homes, hospitals, schools, so many of the essentials of life. Well, the health infrastructure was gutted by the war. People are starting from scratch to rebuild the economy, and only a small portion of the city is back to normal. When we speak about like health crises, uh, 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 that are uh, 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 hitting Mosul. Besides the COVID situation now, many families died. I mean, many, many people died because there were no ventilators in the city. We are speaking about a full health infrastructure that doesn't exist in the city. We are speaking about the chronic diseases. We are speaking about people who used to uh, uh, clean their kidneys on on monthly basis. People who need to uh, put like to 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 to, to get a, a blood test. People who need to do surgeries. We, this doesn't exist in the city anymore. So what I'm hearing is that Mosul's residents will be dealing with the harm and trauma and grief of this war for decades. How do they make sense of that? How do they move forward? Well, the first thing Omar pointed to was the need for public recognition. We need a full recognition with the names of all the victims of Daesh to be put in a public space that every family should see the name of uh, uh, its member that was killed either by Daesh or by the airstrikes. We need uh, a huge uh, 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 moment to record these names. Are you talking about a physical memorial? Yes, a physical memorial where I can read all the names of the victims. It's not only a communal case, it's an individual case. Every family should feel that the name of its victim is not uh, 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 diminished or forgotten. 
these names has to be made public. Why is that important? It's very important because you give the sense to the people that at least there is justice being served here, that their names are not numbers. The next thing Omar talked about was a need for accountability and justice. Are we going to hold the government accountable or the coalition accountable for the uh, uh, killings they, they, they did, Mark? Because here, when we put the, the justice on, on the altar of, 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 of humanity, we need to put everyone who was involved in this. Mm-hmm. But is it, is it possible? I'm, I'm not sure it's possible. But at least let's start with what we already have, the, the steps that were taken by UNITAD recently. UNITAD is the United Nations investigation team to promote accountability for crimes committed by Daesh in Iraq. By recognizing that based on convincing evidence that what happened against the Yazidis was a genocide, that's a good step. There is, there is, there, there are some steps toward establishing an international tribunal, and that's what we need here. And that's, that's, that's the alternative of an Iraqi uh, court. I cannot have faith in an Iraqi court to put people on trial. I need an international uh, court to be established in Iraq with international judges, with international observers to put those criminals on a trial to bring them to justice so that people can feel the justice is served and finally feel that their beloved ones who were killed uh, uh, are finally uh, 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 dignified. But this requires a will, a very strong will. Then, Mark, you asked him about what we can learn from Mosul for future conflicts. And I was really struck by what he said to you. What can we learn, what can we take from this about future interventions? What do security actors need to take away from the experience of what happened in Mosul for future conflicts and future lessons? Not to start another war. Okay. There is no other way to do it. I mean, there is no other lesson to, to, to take from this. They shouldn't make wars inside cities. What, I mean, there is no other thing to expect when you launch a war on all cities or, or this urban warfare. You cannot expect zero casualties. And you cannot justify the killing of the civilians by saying like, yes, it's a city and I have no other options. And they were taken as human shields. No, don't make the war from, from, uh, from the beginning. I mean, that's, so from, that's, that's the only lesson that, that, that anyone could take from, 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 the, the, from the Battle of Mosul. And that's why we are calling for uh, visibility of names of victims, because we want everyone to know what cost the war can bring to humanity. That's the cost. You, so can, you, th- you, can rebuild, you can rebuild the house, you can rebuild the street, you can rebuild the hospital, you can rebuild everything. Because this is what the humans do. But how can you, you, recreate, you, how can you recreate a human? You cannot. Mark, what should we take away from this interview? I mean, we are two white Americans recording this podcast from the safety of our homes. And as we record, wars continue all over the world, many of them involving the United States, while civilians, most of them black, brown, and Muslim people, continue to suffer irreversible harm as a result. Well, 
One clear takeaway is that we don't need more of our voices. We need the world to listen to more voices like Omar's, who remind us that civilians are humans with families, dreams, agency, and incredible resilience who deserve safety and recognition and justice. Absolutely. And I think listeners can start by following Mosul Eye and the work of Omar Mohammed at mosul-i.org and at mosul-i on Twitter. And also by thinking critically about the voices that we hear or that we don't hear in stories about war. You know, the other thing I'm left with, Annie, is a deep frustration for the lack of accountability for civilian harm. I've been working in conflict areas for over two decades. And I just want to know what the hell comes next. How do we reckon with this harm? Where is the accountability? And that's such an important question with really unsatisfying answers so far. We are seeing enormous levels of civilian harm in wars around the world without accountability, compensation, or even much public recognition. I mean, look at President Biden's speech announcing the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, for example. The president rightly noted the costs of the war in American lives and taxpayer dollars, but nowhere in that speech was an acknowledgement of the many civilian lives lost through the course of U.S. operations. If we can't even recognize and be honest about that harm, how can we grapple with it? How do we even begin to make amends? That was it for this episode. Next time on the Civilian Protection Podcast, we'll follow the experience of civilians looking for recognition and compensation for the harm they experienced. We'll explore what governments owe to the people they've hurt, what civilians say they need after harm, and the many challenges that still stand in their way. The Civilian Protection Podcast is brought to you by Center for Civilians in Conflict and PACS, two NGOs working to improve the lives of civilians caught in conflict. Today's episode was written by Mark Arlosko and Annie Scheel, with assistance from Shannon Green, Dan Mahanti, Erin Bell, and Selma Van Ostvard. It was produced by the podcast Guru. Monica Zura made the designs, and she made sure that we're online. We'd like to thank Omar Mohammed for joining us as a guest. Thank you. You can find us on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts on this episode or topics you'd like us to cover by emailing civilianprotectionpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at protectionpod to stay up to date on our episodes and guest speakers and get behind the scenes content. You can follow Mosul Eye and the work of Omar Mohammed at mosul-i.org and at Mosul Eye on Twitter. And find our full interview with Omar and upcoming episodes on our websites, civiliansinconflict.org slash podcast and protectionofcivilians.org. Thanks for listening.